welcome. Welcome to Antioch. And uh, my name is Steve Zanacco. Andrew is actually the senior pastor of the church. Um, and I just get to preach, as I told you, he called on Friday. Um, and with the news of Heather's family, they were leaving. And we wanted to continue and have church anyway. So um, I uh, asked if I would preach. And I wanted to tell you that for today, and I know we actually have uh, quite a few visitors, that if you're visiting today, that I want to tell you right up front that this is uh, what God has laid on my heart is a family message. But what I mean by that is that I actually think this is a great week to be visiting here because when I say that I think God's given me a family message, it's not for our church, but it's really a family message about our church. So I think that this is a great week for us, for you to be here to find out who we are and what we're about. And so I think it's actually a great week to be visiting Antioch this week. And I also need to say that this is my view of who we are. I've not run this by Andrew or anyone else in the family, so this is not the official version of who we are. <laughs> but I have the microphone. <laughs> Andrew's out of town. So for today, this is the official version of who we are. <laughs> I hope you like it. If not, come back next week. You may get a new vision. <laughs> Which, by the way, I was supposed to say, next to you, you have cards somewhere that says, uh, Antioch cards that you can say, hey, I kind of like it here. That's for us to get involved with you. So maybe you want to hold on to those cards until after this vision, and then you can decide. Um, to continue on, I need to also give you full disclosure. Because if I'm going to present my view of who we are, then I think it's only fair that I present to you who I am and kind of where that perspective comes from. Because who I am and what I'm built like has perspective and has impact on how I view our body. So I want to have full disclosure and let you know a little bit about myself. So I am the kind of guy who often can lead more with heart than plan. Um, I remember one time when I was building, I've got my own business and it started to take off and I was on this journey with God at the same time and I got to the point and I'm kind of a big swing kind of guy big swing kind of guy. And I got to the point and I was like, I really want to know I'm sold out for Jesus. I really want to know that I'm all in for the kingdom. And I determined the only way that you could possibly know that was to go overseas. Because to me, I can talk about giving everything up, but until I do it, I don't know if I'm really willing. I can talk about all this stuff. So I thought, I'm going to go overseas. So I'm going to walk away from the business. I talked to business guys, and a lot of guys were like, no, no, that doesn't make sense. You can't do that. You've got a business. Who's going to pay for the missionaries? I heard all that stuff. And I thought, the only one who's going to actually give me permission to go is a missionary. So I called a friend of mine. His name is Nate. He was a missionary for Pakistan. And I told him my story. And I said, Nate, I'm walking away from the business, and I'm going overseas. And he said, Steve, where's God called you? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what people group has he laid on your heart? None. He goes, well, what's your next move? I don't know. And his awesome response was, Steve, great heart, horrible plan. <laughs> and that's kind of the way I roll, so you need to know that. Of kind of like, I'm going, and he was like, and I needed to hear that. Great heart, not such a great plan. So we stepped back, and he helped me rethink some of my plans. The other thing is, I'm also a guy whose outcomes often are very different than my intentions. I often find myself thinking, that didn't quite go how I pictured it in my mind. I'll give you a few instances. One time when um, I was building a, a deck, I tend to, again, in big swings, I will tend to overdo things. And so if, a, if some is good, then a lot must be better, right? 
So I was going to build a deck one time on my house, and uh, I hired somebody, and they gave me the plans, and I looked at it, and I thought they weren't good enough. So I studied, drew up my own plans, stayed up till like 2 o'clock in the morning drawing the plans, and then there was a place called Wix Lumber where you could take in your plans and give it to them, and then they order all of the supplies on your plans. It's an awesome deal. So I walked up, and they literally have this planning desk in this large um, lumber yard. And thing. Give him my plans. He looks at it, and virtually he goes, hey, guys, you got to see this one. <laughs> And then he pulls a bunch of guys over. They're looking at the plans, and they're laughing. And then he looks up at me. He goes, are you building a deck or a landing strip for a 747? <laughs> I was offended. <laughs> I said, just give me my plans. I'll tell you the end of that story sometime. Andrew's birthday party. I decided I was going to be Batman. But I wasn't going to just get your normal outfit. I found the most awesome Batman costume you've ever seen. It was the real deal with the bulged out chest where I looked like I had huge arms and the cape wasn't this flimsy cape that hung on your shoulders. It was one that when you did it, folded out. Like, so when I did this, it had an extension on my arms and I mean, it was the coolest costume. And then I thought, it's not good enough to just walk out in the backyard and say, hey, Andrew, Batman's here. I thought, I'll go up on the roof. No. <laughs> And I'll announce Batman's here. So my neighbors helped me get up in the ladder, get up on the second story, but I didn't take into account the wind. So when I said, Batman, the wind caught those wings. <laughs> and if it weren't for the gutters, I think I would have been back on the first floor. It all turned out I'm still here, right? <laughs> Treadmill is broken one time. And making a noise, I decide to repair it while Linda is gone and I just have the two girls at home. It's making a noise, I take the cover off of the wheel, I watch and I see that there's a piece of tape going around in the gears. And I think I can grab that. Grabs my finger, my finger ends up squished in between the gears, trying to beg my little daughter to give me the phone to call 911 so they could come and get me out. That's kind of how I roll. That's how I roll. And so you need to know that's kind of the way I look, and there's more stories like that. But it maybe gives you an understanding that while a lot of people may look at the Bible and say, John's my guy, other guys are going to look at the Bible and say P that Paul's my guy. You maybe now understand that Peter is my guy. Peter's my guy. And that's why the title of this message is, Call Us Peter. You see, I think Peter gets a raw deal from a lot of teachers and a lot of commentators. I think for the most part, the way we see Peter is tainted by two huge factors. First, it is that we do a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, and Monday morning quarterbacking is easy. It's easy to look back on Peter's life and say, oh, gosh, he should have done this, he should have done that. That Monday morning quarterbacking is easy. Secondly, maybe even more impactful than that, is that we live in a culture that uses his mistakes to justify our own timidity and cowardice. That's my opinion. So many teachings paint Peter as a guy who was a loose cannon, too quick to speak, acted before he thought. It kind of feels like Peter is described as like he was frustrating to Jesus. Like Jesus was always looking around going, oh, God, there goes Peter again. Peter's life is often is used to urge caution. Be more careful. Be more calculated. But in my opinion, we are a church. Being, meaning the big C church, the body of Christ. We are a church that has become far too cautious and far too calculating. A.W. Tozer wrote this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would even know the difference. 
But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped instantly and everyone would have noticed the difference. This morning, I want to look at Peter's life not as an urge to caution, but instead as a call to faith and courage and action. We see it immediately with Jesus' calling of Peter in Luke 5. And I'm sorry, I didn't have time to do all the passages today. So I'm going to give references, and maybe you can go look at these. And I'm going to kind of fly through. There's a lot of scripture here. I'll fly through this, but just try and stick with me. So we see it immediately with Jesus' calling of Peter. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And as he sat down, he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I want to point out a couple of things from that story. First, Jesus chose to go to Simon. It was clear there was a lot of other people around, but Jesus chose to go to Simon. Second, Peter submitted in the greatest area of confidence in his life. If there was anything in his entire life that Peter knew that he knew, it was fishing. It's hardest for us to surrender to Jesus in the areas of our greatest competency And yet here is Peter. I believe Peter, when he protested, was saying in his heart to Jesus, if if you were talking about woodworking, I'm ready to listen. If you're going to tell me how to be a blacksmith, teach on. If you want to talk about cooking, I need all the lessons. But Jesus, I know fishing, and there's no fish out there. But he went out anyway. Peter knew fishing as well as anything he knew in his life, and he knew fishing as well as anybody on the earth, and still he said, but if you say so, I'll go back out. And he did. Then Peter responds to Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet. Finally, Peter responds for Jesus. He left everything and followed Jesus. Peter was chosen by God himself, surrendered into his life in his areas of greatest competency, falls at Jesus' feet to worship him the first time he meets him, and then leaves everything he has to serve him for the rest of his life. And I say from that point on, I lose every right 
to question Peter's failures. Because already he's done more for Jesus and sacrificed more to Jesus than I've done in my whole life. So you're not going to find me ever critiquing Peter. But there's more. One of the things Peter is most known for is having been with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says this, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Peter lived a life that somehow people most identified him, not with his belief system, not knowing where he'd come from, not from his history, but simply this, oh, he has been with Jesus. What a glorious thing to be known for. If I'm only ever known for that. Peter was chosen to accompany Jesus on his most intimate missions, missions that nine of the other disciples would not be allowed to accompany Jesus with. Peter was chosen for every single one of them. I don't think Peter irritated Jesus. Jesus obviously wanted Peter by his side always. There's the healing of the little girl and says in Mark 5, 37, and he allowed um, no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John. Then there's the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took, sorry, Matthew 17, 1 through 4. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up in a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the commentators go off again, and they say, there goes Peter saying something, wanting to do something when he should have just been silent. And I want to say to these commentators, what would you have done? You're on a mountaintop and Elijah and a Moses show up, the two giants of the faith, and they're having a conversation with Jesus. I somehow, I think, Building a home, a tabernacle, a place of worship for them is not such a bad offering to throw up. And notice Jesus never rebuked Peter for that offer. Isn't it possible that Jesus was actually touched by Peter's offering? Let me build something for you. It may not have been the right thing, but I bet Peter touched the heart of Jesus that day. Moving on, it was Peter who first identified Jesus as the Savior of the world. Matthew 16, 15 through 17, Peter calls out confidently who Jesus is when everyone else was silent. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And this was at a time of yearning with Jesus. Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven is the one who has revealed this to you. You see that? Who did Peter get the news from? God himself. God chose to spoke to Peter and decided this would be the one he would first share who the Savior of the world is. Then Jesus goes on to tell Peter that on Peter's shoulders, on his life, 
on his legacy, Jesus was going to build his church. Matthew 16, 18 through 19, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then there's a whole water walking thing. That's a pretty big deal. Matthew 14, 27 through 31, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Who did Jesus speak to in the boat? All of them. Yes, it is true, Peter was rebuked by Jesus for not having enough faith. But do you think for a minute that Jesus was saying in that rebuke, Peter, I wish you were more like the guys that had stayed in the boat. I don't think so. I think he was calling out one of great faith, but one who still had a lot to learn. Anybody relate? I stand here and I believe very much that Jesus was far more blessed by the one who was sinking than the 11 who were floating. Then there are knocks about Peter falling asleep in the garden. Mark 14, 37, and he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep on watching for just one more hour? One commentator is pretty hard on Peter because he feels like Jesus called Peter out by name. And he takes that as a slam. I take it, look at it differently. Again, who was sleeping? All of them. I see it very possibly that Jesus calling out Peter specifically was the great calling of honor. I believe entirely that he called Peter out by name because he needed more from Peter. Peter, you're my strong one. You're the one I need to be able to count on. You're the one I'm going to build on in the future. I get why they're asleep, but not you, Peter. And I look and I say to you, I would be so honored if Jesus someday calls me out and says, Steve, that's okay for them, but it's not okay for you. I'll take that any day. Then Peter draws his sword in the garden. Judas then, having received a Roman cohort and officers and chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Skipping down to verse 10, Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given to me. Shall I not drink it? And again, commentators say, Peter being foolish. Peter just doesn't get it. But look at the circumstances. Roman cohort, leaders, Pharisees, with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Do you think for a minute that when Peter drew his sword, he thought he was going to be victorious? I don't. I think the second Jesus drew his sword, he knew that he was going to die at the side of Jesus. Do you think maybe 
that Jesus was blessed. More by the one who raised his sword than the others who just hid and ran. Just two more short ones. Peter runs to Jesus rather than waiting for Jesus. Jesus is standing on the shore, but the disciples don't recognize him immediately. This is after his resurrection, John 21, 7 through uh, 21.7. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of full fish, and they were not far from shore, only about 100 yards. They weren't only 100 yards away, but when Peter sees that it's Jesus, he doesn't care. He can't wait. He just dives in, clothes and all. And I think Jesus is there going, there's my man Peter again. <laughs> Not a great plan, but love his heart. <clears throat> Finally, Peter was chosen by Jesus for a special honor, the honor of suffering for Jesus. John 21, 18 through 19. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, Peter. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God with. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, but follow me, Peter, follow me. Peter was picked for an honor, not only to believe in Jesus, not only to serve Jesus, not only to follow Jesus, but to suffer for Jesus. Philippians 1.29 says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer. The honor of suffering for Jesus was given to Peter. Is it possible that we read Peter's story and interpret it according to our own culture and our own wishes and our own thinking? Is it possible that we read Jesus' story to give ourselves permission to be more careful for Jesus, more planned for Jesus, more cautious for Jesus, more balanced in our approach for Jesus? Is it possible that Jesus is looking for more Peters? Those who will surrender in their areas of the greatest strength. Those who he can go everywhere with. Those he can trust with the full truth of all and everything that he is. Those that he can know will be fools for him rather than careful for him. Those he can build a church on. Those he can least get out who will at least get out of the boat. And those he can trust to suffer for him. I think the world is. I think Jesus is waiting for more Peters. I love this church. I love all of you because when I look out here, I want you to know I see a bunch of Peters. That's what I see when I look at all of you. That's what I see when I think what we're all about. I think we're all trying to be a bunch of Peters. We may not get it right. We're going to make a lot of mistakes, and we will often look foolish. But one thing is for sure. One thing I know about us, one thing I know about you, we're not staying in the boat. We've shown that. 
We went after a church building that was 45,000 square feet, $5.5 million when our church had 45 people in it. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I still think God got a big kick out of that one. I think from the beginning, he was like, oh, this is awesome. You're never going to get it because it'll sink you. But I am so enjoying this journey of faith that I'm going to let it go right down to the wire because y'all are blessing me. We did not get it, thankfully, but our faith was a testimony to much larger churches and other ministries and people who said, I want to believe like that. I want to believe God for really big things again. We're a new church. We had no building and only a few people. And its first 10 weeks, we gave all our income away. Not a percentage, not a love offering. All of it, every penny of it came in. And this little church that was much smaller than even today gave $25,000 of its first money away when we didn't have any money. (laughs) Our first summer... Instead of going on vacation, we were charged to go to Waco for a vision vacation. That's right, Waco, Texas, in June for vacation. (laughs) Truth be told, when Andrew cast that vision, I was like, son, too much, too soon, nobody's going to go. That's where I was with it. But a bunch went. And it was an investment in vision and understanding and prophetic ministry and prayed over. And oh, by the way... A couple that was told they could never have children conceived on that trip, and Sully was born just last week. (laughs) One of us strikes up a conversation with a man on a plane, a very successful businessman in the clothes business. She says, what I need from you is for you to donate clothes to this ministry that I know about. And she ends up making another trip to New York and is in front of his entire executive team sharing vision on how they can impact the world. Two of our youngest are on their way to Haiti, and one is on another just said yes to Indonesia after one of ours just returned back from Indonesia fighting sex trafficking. Many are time after time making business decisions not based on profit and loss, but based on the kingdom ethics. And people are noticing, they are seeing. They're not seeing us, but they're seeing the kingdom in us. A longtime Christian missionary struggling in pain, losing her belief in the power of healing, comes here and prays and testifies, I have never felt prayer like that or power like that. A medical staff is impacted and changed by our church family as one of our families walks out their faith and continues to make others great while they are going through the biggest trial anyone can go on the face of this earth. I love that speaking to a friend who's in the chief of surgery after one of the staff worshipped with us said she came back and said she'd never worshipped or been prayed over like that in her entire life. Four African-American children die in a tragic fire north of Indianapolis, and an African-American pastor is called to come in and help carry that community that doesn't have a leader. That pastor calls Andrew, who he had just met the week before. He said, I need somebody to stand with me in this. I don't know you very well, but I knew I could call you, and you would come. And Andrew calls, and we go up, looking at each other, going, what do we do when we get there? And we didn't know. And we walked into that gym with those four caskets there, having no idea what was going to be asked of us. And you know what? They asked us to step up to the front and to preach and to share hope and faith and promise. Houses freeze and doors are open at 2 a.m. to provide warmth and rest. Cars break down and replacement cars are given immediately. 
excess incomes coming into one of our families only to have it shared with all the other families. Acts 2 is coming alive in this body. That's my vision. That's how I see us. As a church family, we've been hit with some pretty hard things. Families have been hit by surprise waves. Some of them are tidal waves. They've been washed overboard into raging seas, and each time something has happened, I have thought, we have to go in after them, and then I look around, and I realize everybody's already in the water, holding on to those families for dear life. That's how I see us. We are Jesus people. We are people who know faith takes faith and it will always take faith. We are people committed to not taking off ramps. We are people that will go to the cities and go to the nations, but not until we have first waited on God. That's who we are. That's how I see us. I think the world is wanting to see a people of faith, people who perhaps do not have a great plan, but have a great heart. A people who will risk acting before the answers are all in a people who will jump in no matter how the water rages. That's how I see our family. A people who believe that Jesus still moves mountains, still quiets storms. A people that believe God's so big they're going to jump in just to prove it to others. Anybody who knows me knows that I'll probably never share without some kind of a movie illustration. So one of my movies I saw, a tough movie called Hacksaw Ridge, and some of you may know the story. True story. Always start with true story, right, Linda? True story of a conscientious objector in World War II who said he wouldn't pick up a rifle. And the movie goes through and shows this incredible man that they go up on a ridge and they just get basically massacred. And all the soldiers go back down, but this one conscientious objector, after those soldiers had beat him, had tried to wash him out of the service, he stayed up there and stayed up the whole night and lowered 72 men to get ministered to and save their lives, some of them Japanese. Four days later, a few days later, the colonel who tried to drum him out of the service walked up to that man and said, we have to go back up there. And he said this to them, and I'll never forget this. He said, we don't all believe what you believe or know what you believe, but we believe so much in how much you believe it that we don't want to go there without you. Jesus, let that be said of us. We may not understand all that we believe, but we believe so much in what Antioch believes that we don't want to go there without him. To our family, I'm so proud to be a part of you. I'm not always sure of your plans, but I'm always certain of your hearts and I'm always certain of your faith. I've never been so tired and I've never had so much fun. Thank you. To those who are visiting, I hope this sounds exciting to you. I'm sure, I hope you will. I hope you'll join us because we need you. We need more if we're going to carry out the vision that we have. And if anyone were to ask me, what will it look like if I come to Antioch? What will life look like if I attend Antioch? 
What do the people of Antioch look like? Where will I find the people of Antioch? I would say, look in the deep water. Look in the spot that the waves are raging the most. That's where you'll see them. And it may look like they're flailing around without a plan. Look closer. Because I guarantee you this, in those waves, they are holding the hand of Jesus. And there's no other place they'd rather be. Call us Peter. We're going to have a time to close and just to worship. Just lead us in a song. I don't even know what that song is because I don't know how we're going to close. Um, and I th- think I needed a little gap for the worship team to come up. And I'm not really sure how to close this. Except that maybe, um, maybe I'll just close us with a prayer and then we can just worship together. And Maybe we can just reflect and offer up to God our lives. If, by chance, you have not grabbed the hand of Jesus yet in your life, would you come up to me afterwards and let me know? I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that. Quite frankly, you could grab almost anyone in this room and they'll love to talk to you about that. And if you are following Jesus, could we use this time to open up our hearts to him, to say we're ready for more, to ask him to build our faith and our courage, that we will indeed be people that will go maybe where no one else will go, not out of pride, but out of love. In Jesus' name, that's my prayer.